And so uh, just to summarize quickly what I said last week, well, there were three things we learned about Paul out of this introduction, and we're, there were three things that we learned about how Paul saw this church. And we learned f about Paul, we saw his humility, we saw his, his uh, absolute impartiality, that he saw everybody as saints, he made no kind of hierarchy in terms of his thinking of how he saw people, and we saw thirdly his prayerfulness, how he loved these people and prayed for them. So those are the three things we learned about Paul, his humility, his uh, impartiality and his prayerfulness. And then we also looked at the way that Paul viewed the church. And uh, there were three things. He, first of all, he, he viewed them all as saints. And remember I said to you that's the, our primary identity is first of all we are saints. We are called out ones who have been given the nature of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that enables us to live differently. We are called out. We, we are called not to live just like everybody else lives. And so Paul identifies, first of all, these believers as saints. Every one of them are saints. And I said to you, all of us, we are primarily, first of all, saints. Before we are English, before we are South African, before we are whatever we are, we are saints first because we've been called out by the grace of God. And He's given us His nature, His identity. That's the first thing. Uh, secondly, we saw that Paul says, all of you are in Christ. This beautiful phrase, what does it mean to be in Christ? And I started to discuss with you some of the things that that brings to us. It bring, brings security to us in such a primary way because we know, remember I finished off with verse 6, He who began a good work in you will complete it. Why can you be confident of that in your life? Why can you just rest in that knowing that God's plan for your life will, will, will reach its, its fulfillment? Why can you relax and be yourself and not strive and not get anxious because you are in Christ? Christ. This is Paul encourages them right at the beginning. All of the saints in Christ Jesus. And then, of course, he identifies that their geography is Philippi. So the three things that he identifies um, about the people. But to be faithful to these verses, I just want to dwell a little bit longer on the, the, these first verses. And I want to look in particular this morning at leadership, at, at what he talks about in terms of overseers and deacons, because we are aiming at being a New Testament church, all right? And perhaps some of you that are joining our church community come from different backgrounds of different kind of church models, and you might think, well, how do we do stuff and why do we do it this way? Well, we're trying to, I'm not saying we're getting it absolutely right, but we're trying to embrace a New Testament vision of church life. What does it look like in the New Testament? What did the early church do? What did they value? And this little verse, these two little verses are a wonderful springboard for us to Dive in and to begin to understand how Paul and the apostles viewed leadership and how our church works in the New Testament. All right? And so that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. And I said to you last week, it's quite clear that Paul believes in the fellowship of all believers, that we are all priests together. We are all king, a kingdom of priests that get to minister to God and to each other. So I want to say to you right here this morning, every one of you is a vicar, all right? You are all vicars, every single one of you, and me. A little bit more tea, vicar. You are all vicars, all right? Every one of you is a priest in God's kingdom. There's no, no clergy and laity in the New Testament. We are all priests who have the privilege of entering the Holy of Holies because of the blood of Jesus without anxiety, Hebrews tells us, and we can 
go into God's presence, and the privilege that we have is that we minister to God, and we minister to each other, and we pray for each other, and we encourage each other, and we are all priests. That's how Paul sees it. So, you might not have thought of that before, but you are a vicar, all right? You don't like that idea. <laughs> it's true. We are all priests. We are a kingdom of priests. And so, what I want to focus on this morning is when Paul speaks about um, uh, overseers. Do you see this? Uh, we haven't read this. Uh, we ha- did read the verses. He says this, To all God's saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. Do you notice that? In every local church, there's fellowship. That's all of us together. And there's leadership. There's overseers and deacons. And I want to say this right at the outset. That leadership is not an imposition upon the people, but it's an extension of the people. All right? Leaders are not above. They are with. This is so important. We are leaders are called to be with people, first of all. Not above people. Not necessarily even a front of people, but with the people, ministering with the people, first of all as saints themselves, and then helping to lead and facilitate God's people. It's very, very important. And so I want to put it to you this morning, that summarizes Paul's view of how churches function in the New Testament. Every local church made up of local believers, alongside that, Leaders with particular areas of responsibility that work with people like Paul and Timothy who have uh, an apostolic ministry and they occasionally come alongside the church to encourage them, to inspire them, to help them to keep their eyes focused on Jesus. That's how it works in the New Testament. And there is an Old Testament context. Um, Are you doing okay following me? Good. <laughs> sorry. Uh, I, we do these PowerPoints, and then I never, I never stick to it anyway. I feel sorry for the guy at the back. Anyway, I'm sorry, but I'm trying my best this morning, right? And so there's an Old Testament context to New Testament leadership. There's some great uniting themes in the Bible, and one of them is the church. And it's the people of God, the called out ones, the ecclesia. And when we see in the New Testament when um, the church is spoken of, Paul and others use Old Testament phrases when they're describing the church. So they'll say things like this. They'll say the church is the Israel of God. They'll they'll say things like the church is the temple of God or the church is the bride of Christ. Now all of these have an Old Testament root. And throughout the Bible, we see quite clearly that the, 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 the church has always been equipped with leaders. So in the Old Testament, there was a priestly order that was set in place, and Paul draws upon this language when he's talking about supporting and encouraging apostles and leaders in the local church, elders and deacons. And if you know your Old Testament right at the outset of, of Exodus, Exodus 19.6, um, we can see the Lord says of this, of his church, he says, you will be, he's talking about Israel, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He wants all of them to minister for him. All of you, Israel, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation for me. And unfortunately, we know the context of the Old Testament, that didn't happen. And so what God does, he puts in place a priestly order, the Levites, which you can read about in Numbers 8. And he gives them specific responsibilities to help the the nation of Israel. And so we see this pattern in the Old Testament that all ministry in the local church comes out of the condition and the needs of that local church, not the other way around. 
And that's a principle we must always keep in mind. Whenever we think about leadership in a local church context, it comes from this place. What does that local church need? What does that local church look like? And what is its vision? And what is it trying to do? And then out of that place, God raises up leaders to fulfill that vision. It's never imposed from the outside in in, in, in the Scripture. It comes from the inside. It comes from the vision and the local context and the kind of people that are drawn together in this church. What does that church need? God provides the leaders for that. Are you with me? And so that's why I say this emphasis is a kingdom of priests. And the book of Hebrews helps us to see that in a beautiful, beautiful way. And I've mentioned this already. Jesus is our mediator because he is mediating between us and God the Father. We can all have confidence to boldly enter the Holy of Holies. The veil has been torn when Jesus was, um, died and, and rose from the grave. The veil was torn. And so we can have confidence to boldly enter his throne as priests and to minister to him and to minister to other, each other. And that's why Peter says in 1 Peter 2 verse 5, All of us are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. So even Peter has this idea. Now all of us are priests together. We all get to minister together. We all get to do God's stuff in the world, and we all offer sacrifices. We are all priests. You are all a vicar. All right? And we're doing that on behalf of God because we want to encourage His bride. We want to help His bride thrive. And so we all have these rights and these privileges as priests. And then it is true at the same time that within the local church, there are some special ministries. And I'd just like to spend a couple of minutes looking at those special ministries that God raises up within the church. And the role of these special ministries is purely there to help the church be equipped and to function as God intended it to function. And as, uh, as I've said already in, in, in the Scripture, these kind of ministries arise out of the need of each local church, and that's how they're exercised. And so when the New Testament uses the word priest, the Greek is hierius, it always refers to Jesus or to all believers together. It's a communal word. It never, this is interesting to me, it never refers to individuals It never refers to just one minister. How many times do you not hear people say, this is my ministry? Yes? Really? No, no. This is our ministry. (laughs) This is a community of believers. We are all priests. Yes, there are some that do specific things, but every one of us is a priest. And the Greek always is about community. All of us together. We are all priests. And we all have this access to God to minister to Him and to each other. And so the first, the first special ministry that I'd like to uh, talk about is that of the apostle. Okay? And now we're focusing, saying, yeah, we are all priests, but there are some that are called in a specific way. The first ministry is that of the apostle, which you might know comes from the Greek word apostolos, which simply means one who is sent. One who is sent. And uh, we can use this word... In a sense, it applies specifically to the original 12 in a way that it doesn't apply now, all right, when I use the word apostle or apostolic. And I I, I want to um, just clarify what I mean. The original 12 apostles, they saw the Lord Jesus, all right, in a personal way. They, They personally interacted with the Lord Jesus. 
Uh, secondly, they also received a direct call from the Lord Jesus themselves. That's why Paul can say that he's re received his call, not from God, but not, not, not from men or through men, but from Christ Jesus. That's how Paul always introduces himself. And thirdly, they were foundation layers. So in that sense, the 12 apostles were unique. Uh, they, they had a personal um, relationship with Jesus. They had received a personal call from Jesus, and they were called to lay foundations for the whole of the church. And it's interesting, in the New Testament, in Revelation, uh, it talks about this as it describes the ministry of the original 12. It says of the apostles that they are those that laid the foundations of the holy city of Jerusalem. And that's a high accolade, isn't it? So, so the writer of, of Revelation is saying that actually the 12 apostles are the foundation layers for the heavenly city that is to come, the heavenly Jerusalem that we are all looking forward to, and those foundations have been laid by the apostles. And in that sense, the original 12 apostles are irreplaceable. All right? They can't be replaced. And so for that reason, I say to you, we need to be very cautious about giving any Christian minister the title of apostle. Yeah? A lot of people claim things about themselves. Oh, I'm apostle, uh, this, I'm a bishop, I'm this, I'm a that. I want to say under the Holy Spirit this morning, we need to be cautious about calling anyone apostle. Why? Because the claim of apostolic function is one thing. You can function in apostolic way, and I recognize that many people I know uh, function as apostles, but the claim to apostolic status, uh, calling yourself an apostle is quite a different thing. Oh, if I could use that picture in Revelation again, how is it possible to relay the foundations of the heavenly Jerusalem? I'm not quite sure that it is. And so we certainly can have an apostolic function, and if you're part of this church, you know that we go regularly to Cambodia, we go to our local context, and we're always sending people, in that sense, there's an apostolic thrust to this church, but uh, not any of us would say that we are apostles, all right? Is that clear? Okay. Secondly, I want to draw your attention to this, that the function of the early apostles was to lay doctrine into the church. It was to lay doctrine. That's what they were committed to. How can we understand the gospel? Who is Jesus? What has he done? They were not there to build organization. And can I say to you, when I look at much of the church, it's about building organization. And the preaching is an afterthought. Oh, well, we do some preaching, 20 minutes, 15 minutes, a little homily here. No, 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 no. The early church, what were the apostles most concerned with? This that I have received, says Paul. I want to faithfully hand that on to you so that you can take that very same thing and faithfully hand it on to those that come after you. They were faithful to the doctrine of the gospel before they built any organization. And I want to put it to you that much of the church in the world is about organization. It's about CEOs with a business mindset building a business that they call the church. We are not called to build a business. We are called to help co-labor in building a bride, a family, a community of believers that love God and want to change the world. It's a very different thing. Now I've offended everyone in the room. We are not here. We are not. John Piper wrote a book. Brothers, we are not professionals. I am not in this to build an organization, a good business. I'm in this to try and preach the gospel so that your life is transformed by the gospel and that you can help to 
bring liberty and freedom to your friends and your family, and they can understand the gospel. You still like me? I hope so. We are not in this to build an organization, my friends. We are in this to build the church of Jesus Christ, His bride. And so, you know, you can even see that in Paul, in his life, in 2 Timothy, Paul knows that his, his death is upon him, and he doesn't even talk about or think about an excess, a, being a successor, that somehow Timothy is going to be his apostolic successor. He doesn't even think like that. He doesn't even say to, to Timothy, you know, you're going to have some of your own ideas, some special revelation that's going to help you to take the church forward. He doesn't even think like that. He says to Timothy, when he knows he's about to die, in 2 Timothy, Paul says, God, the truth that has been given to you by the Holy Spirit, and it's by that truth, that revelation that he's received, he's to minister, he's to lead, he's to evangelize, he's to do by the truth that he's received. And you and I are called to do the same thing. Be faithful to what we have received in the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. Be faithful to that and pass it on to the next generation. That's what we are called to. All right? That's a little bit about apostles. A little bit about elders and overseers and deacons. So when I look at the New Testament, I see local churches that are loosely affiliated to each other under apostolic authority. And each local church manages its own affairs under the leadership of overseers, plural, who are called elders, and also with the help of deacons. It's very simple. And we can see also in the New Testament that deacons is a distinct office that we are told about, but we're not told about anything of how those deacons are to function. You know, in 1 Timothy 3 and in Acts 6, it talks about the appointing of deacons, deacons, but we don't even know who they are. <laughs> so it says appoint deacons, but it doesn't say the names of the people. And this word deacon, diakonos, or the verb form, um, diakono, which is the, the, the doing part of it, that, those words are, are used often to describe people that are involved in the preaching of the gospel as well as those that are involved in practical needs. So Paul calls himself a, a, a diakonos of the gospel. So he sees himself as a servant of the gospel, and yet also deacon can refer to practical needs in the church that are being met. We can also see quite clearly from the New Testament that the role of deacon involved both male and female. Why do I say that? Well, Romans 16 verse 1 says, Paul writing to the Roman church, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centuria, however you say that word. And if you go, go and read of what he says to her, it, about her, he says she, he was, she was faithful, she's a patron to us, she supported us in every way, she's opened our home to us. This was a woman that fully supported Paul's ministry. And so Paul says, she's a deacon. So it has not to do with your sexuality, whether you're male or female. It has to do with your gifting and your calling and what God has called you to do. Yes? So there are deacons in this church, and there are also those that are deaconesses, that under the Holy Spirit minister powerfully in terms of what God has called them to do. 
And I want to put it to you that it seems to me when I look at the New Testament, it's incredibly flexible. And it seems to apply, flexibility also seems to apply to elders or those that are called bishops or overseers in older translations. And what's clear from the New Testament is those words all describe the same person. They don't describe different people. One person called an overseer or an elder or a pastor or a teacher or a bishop. All the same person, different words used to describe that person. And it seems to me that when I look at it, they just, those words, elder really just describes someone who's senior in experience. The word overseer or pastor or teacher simply describes the function of that person to care for the local church, to instruct the local church. And this is the only thing that I can see in the whole of the New Testament about the job description of an elder. It says one thing about what an elder must be able to do. An elder must be able to teach. That is it. It's the only thing the Bible says about elders. You must be able to teach doctrine. And everything else, if you go and read Titus, you go and read Timothy, all the qualifications on eldership, every other thing applies to the personal life of that person. They must not be given too much wine. They must have a good marriage. They must be able to raise their kids. Those are all personal things. The only job description portion of that is an elder must be able to teach. Incredibly flexible. It means all sorts of different people can be involved in leadership. The second thing the Bible clearly says is that elders lead the church. More than one. And so that's why we have a team in this church. Some of you might have come from a model where the pastor does everything. Yes? Makes the tea, visits the sick, does the preaching, organizes the children ministry, organizes the worship, does everything. Well, I want to say to you, that's not how we want to minister in this church. We want a team of people with different gifts, who have been called by God, anointed by the Holy Spirit to do what they do. My function is to preach and to help with leadership and to steer the direction. But I do not do the children's ministry. I do not largely do the worship. I do not do the accounting. I do not do a whole lot of stuff because there is a team of people, elders and deacons, along with all the saints in the community of believers that love love God, and they want to do what God calls him to do. Thank you. <laughs> That's what it's about. All of us get to play. Remember what I said? Well, yeah, perhaps I should put it this way. If leadership roles were not more clearly defined in the New Testament, it's good to ask why. Why weren't leadership roles more clearly defined in the New Testament? I answer you with this as I started with early. Ministry arises in a local church out of the specific context of that church, the kind of people that are there, and not vice versa. That's always how ministry develops. What does the church need? And therefore, I want to say to you guys that over the years, this leadership team will change. Why will this leadership cha team change? Because the, the church is changing. Because the needs of the church are changing. Why must we redo the logo? Well, because the needs of the church are changing. Why do we need more home group leaders? Why? Because the needs of the church are changing. Of course, it's flexible. It's an organic thing. That should excite you. 
It always changes. And because it always changes, we need to be flexible by the Holy Spirit that we can cooperate with Him to do what is needed for the good of the church. Amen? Okay. Just watching my time. And so I want to land on these two things. First of all, the great encouragement to me, I, I just wanted to say this. Um, uh, the wonderful thing about an eldership team, more than one leading together, although there's always a captain of a team, right? But the, the wonderful thing about elders, plural, is that it guards against any individual having an authoritarian kind of imposition upon the church. It guards against that in the most wonderful way. Can't be just one person dominating everything. No, it's a team of people together that together hear the mind of Christ and take the church forward. So I'd like to just then summarize and say this. The great encouragement for me when I read the, the New Testament is that these early churches, they weren't scattered. They weren't isolated. They had a connection through the person and ministry of Paul and other apostles. And he shared letters and he wrote to them. And he visited them as often as he could. And they became, in a sense, open to his, his, the person of Paul. They supported him in a, in a hospitable way. They opened their churches. And this is how Paul built with them. And it does seem, if we look at the, again, they, from time to time, it does seem that there were people that were responsible for a greater area of responsibility. So if you read 2 John and 3 John, in, in the first chapter of each of those books, there's someone who's described as the elder, and we don't know who he was, but he obviously saw himself as having oversight over a geographical area. So that's also possible. And we know that Titus and Timothy, together with Paul, he charged them to maintain doctrine, to keep on preaching the gospel in order that the churches might thrive and be healthy. And he, he, he encouraged them and said, you appoint elders in your local congregations because you know those that are in your care. You appoint elders in your local context. Who are those that have a heart for the church, that want to see the church thrive? Appoint those people. And so I'm not sure even when I look at the New Testament how much Paul was even involved in that, in telling people who, to, who should um, lead local churches. Why? Because there were only very few apostles. Secondly, the churches were scattered all over the place. Thirdly, they were growing very quickly. And fourthly, it took time to travel in the ancient world. You didn't jump on an easy jet flight and two hours later you were in Thessaloniki. It took months to get around. And they had to write letters that took months to get anywhere. So therefore, I don't think Paul, that was, he was kind of telling everyone what to do. No, there's a local independence that the churches enjoyed. And on the, they asked for advice and input, but they largely maintained their own congregations. And so I'll put it to you, whenever I look at leadership in the New Testament, I don't see what must be. This is how it has to be. I see what is possible, how it could be. That's a very different way. So we want to, discover, to, to, to together discover what can be for our local church, given the context of our local church, what the needs are of this local church, who the people are in this local church, and God, who God is raising up to lead this church in a team. Hallelujah. I want to say hallelujah to that because it's too exhausting to try and do it all by yourself. We need each other. Come on now. And so there's not no set number of elders in the New Testament. It, uh, 
It just says it needs to be more than one. And so I want to land on this simple little thing that I want to put to you this morning. When we talk about leadership in any local context, it is leaders alongside. Leaders alongside. How is leadership to be exercised? What is the relationship between those that are leading and those that are being led? There's a tiny little word, with. And that provides us with all of the information that we need to know. All the saints, writes Paul, with the elders and the deacons. I've heard various things over the years. I've heard this kind of model. You need to be a strong leader. You know what strong leaders do? They get out in front of the people, and they lead. And they lead strongly. And uh, the, the assumption is that everyone is going to follow. Isn't it right? Strong leadership. We just need strong leaders, and the church is going to be fine. Well, I'm not sure that's what the Bible says. In fact, I know that's not what the Bible says. Secondly, there's the low-profile leader. All right, who's a little bit more laid back and plays it really cool and just tries to lead in a kind of unobtrusive way. But the problem with that is that soon the, the dog begins to be wagged by the tail. Isn't that right? You, you do need some direction. You do need some sense of where you're going. And so I put it to you when I look at the New Testament, the much more difficult way, the much more rewarding way, the much more challenging way is compassionate leadership alongside the people. Friends together leading the church. It's the only way I see in the New Testament. That's how we lead. We lead as friends. We lead as a band of brothers, arm in arm together. We lead recognizing that we are not perfect, that all of us are, first of all, those that have been saved by the grace of God. And we lead with, within the congregation with each other, alongside each other. And so I've put some things down there on the last slide that I'm passionate about, which I believe with all my heart. If we're going to lead like that, if we're going to have a church that functions like that, this is what we have to kind of get to grips with. That all of us share the same experiences, those that lead and those that are being led. We are all sinners saved by grace. We all share the same precious blood. And always, and without exception, we are dependent upon the patient mercy of God in our lives. I am just as you are. That's the bottom line. All of us are in this together. Secondly, it inv- this kind of leadership involves putting first whatever creates and maintains the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We do all that we can to, le- to live at peace with all people. That's all you can do. You can do all that you can to live at peace with all men. Thirdly, it means that if we're going to lead like this, the leaders see themselves first as members of the body. First as members of the body, and then only as ministers to the body. So we face every situation from within the local church of of Christ. We're not dropped in from the outside. We're not dropped in from above. We are within the church, in the church body, linked arm in arm with every other believer. Thank you. Please keep on saying amen. It's so encouraging. Thirdly, this is the part that some people don't like. You've got to wait patiently for the Holy Spirit. Patiently. Until there's unity and agreement in the body, and then you make decisions and go forward. It's so easy. Just say, no, this is what we're going to do. We're going to just do this. Da, 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 da. We do, da, go. And what does that produce in the long run? 
just produces people that say yes, like a robot, or no, like a rebel. What good is that? A church full of robots just saying yes, or rebels saying, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> can't lead like that. We want friends to go forward together with linked arms and linked hearts. Yes. And it involves, thirdly, open relationships. Or fourthly, whatever. That the leadership team is not sulking. It's not scheming to get its own way. It's not playing off one leader against the other. That there's transparent integrity. That people who are, say that, are who they say they are and they behave in an open way, an honest way with each other. It involves a willingness to be overruled. <laughs> so, okay, no, perhaps this is not, my idea is not the best one. Uh, perhaps, I don't know, Rachel's idea is better than mine. Okay, well then, let's go with Rachel's idea. It involves that kind of humility. It, 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 it involves when you have to cast your vote in, to cast in your vote for the sake of the whole church to go for it. And it shortly, it, in short, it involves putting the welfare of the body of Christ first before any personal advantage or personal reputation or personal sense of success so that we co-labor and co-sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ and for His gospel. In short, that kind of leadership is those that are content to stand amongst the people and lead as saints who serve together the great shepherd, Jesus. It's leadership alongside. It's not leadership in front. It's not leadership behind. It's leadership alongside. A band of brothers and sisters together, linking arms, linking hearts for the sake of the kingdom, saying we're going to do this together. Amen? I want to encourage you that you pray for us, that you pray for all of those that are leading this church. I, I am the captain, absolutely. I, I take that responsibility. But there are so many people. You know, we, we did a little check. Uh, well, not a check, but uh, since we've been using church suite, we can see how many people are volunteering. Do you know in our church community, like, oops, last year, 137 people volunteered somewhere doing something to make this church function. I think that is remarkable. It is. We have uh, uh, just over 200 adults and about 100 kids in the church right now. Of those, 137 are doing something to make this church function. Yes! Come on. And I'm not trying to, if you, I'm not trying to have a go if you're not doing anything. I'm not trying to say that at all. I'm just trying to say, how wonderful is it that people are saying, yeah, I'll give some of my time. I'll help somewhere. I'll serve coffee. You know what a relief it is for me when I come in the, in the morning and all the flags are out and the lights are on and the band is rehearsing and, and I've just got to come and pray and meet people and preach. Then the church is beginning to be healthy because the church is beginning to be community together. Somebody say amen, please. <laughs> cool. And so please pray for us over the, the next months because we, we have a whole lot of things to launch and there are many new home groups that are going to be birthed and a whole lot of stuff that needs to happen help uh, we need the holy spirit's help to choose the right people who love god and love each other to do all of that stuff amen great let's pray father i want to thank you so much for your goodness in our lives jesus thank you for your word that your word instructs us in so many ways thank you for the example of of paul and the others who 
who didn't big themselves up in any, uh, in any way. They just simply called themselves servants, those that were there to care for your bride. Help us, Lord, to live with that same attitude, just to care for each other, love each other. Help us to lead, Lord, alongside each other, not getting so far ahead of people that we, they get lost along the way, not, not dragging behind, but with, together, linking arms, keeping our eyes focused on the great shepherd Jesus and leading together as a community that we can see this part of St. Albans changed and transformed because of the love of Christ. God, I want to thank you for every single person, every single believer, every, all the saints at Forest Town Church. I thank you, Lord, for everyone. Help us, Lord, to take our, our responsibility seriously, that we are all priests, that we can minister to you and minister to each other. Help us to be those that first engage and welcome and love because we were first loved and you engaged with us first. Help us to pass that love on. Help us to be faithful to the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Help us to live that out. Lord, let us not get distracted by trying to build a fancy organization. Let us just get consumed with love for you, love for your bride, love for each other, that we can see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And everyone says, Amen.